Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right. So that's the first time I played that, I think, for one of the live shows. Is volume okay? Volume was pretty good, Alex. It had a couple of dips, but overall, it, it hit good. All right. Cool, cool. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to all of you Cafe Bitcoiners, Dom Bay, Mickey, Tomer. Good morning. I haven't seen you in a little while. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's nice to connect again. You were on vacation. I was on, I, I don't know, I wasn't on vacation, but I was doing some stuff that was keeping me quite busy and a little bit away from the show. But it's, um, and maybe you weren't on vacation, but you were away. Who knows? Nice yeah. to see, hear your voice again. Nice to be in dialogue. Let's see where today takes us. Yeah. I mean, officially it was classified as vacation, but the reality is I was busy as hell. But whatever. All good. Good morning, Peter. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm I'm having a great morning. I've had a great week. And um, unfortunately, I won't be around. Well, I might be around tomorrow and Friday, but I doubt it because I'm uh, taking my motorcycle and heading up into the mountains. That's awesome. <clears throat> Elaborate. Elaborate. Uh, let's see. I'm driving uh, east of the Cascades to a city called Chelan, and from there, I'm going to we're going to I'm going to spend the night there uh, with a friend, and uh, then uh, tomorrow we're going to head up into the. We take a series of dirt roads um, called the uh, Washington BDR, which is the back road discovery route. Uh, it's about 100 miles of dirt roads to the next town, which is Wenatchee. And then the next day, we do the same thing to Ellensburg. And the next day after that, we do the same thing to a town called Natchez. And then I'll head home. So 300 miles or so on dirt roads should be should be fun on the uh, on the behemoth that I drive. I don't know why I have to have the biggest enduro in the universe, but um, apparently I've got Napoleon syndrome. I just hear in the background, I was a highwayman along the coach roads I did ride. Nicely done. <laughs> Alex, right you got a response to that? I actually, I do. There is some nonsense that we have to get out of the way. So we might as well do that now. By the way, good morning and welcome to everyone. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin episode 428. Our mission for this show is to provide the signal in a sea of noise and teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there's hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. And for the nonsense, here we go. 
Crowds are coming by the dozens to get an up-close view at what some say is a piece of Irish folklore. A leprechaun. I want to know where to go. I want to go. Give me to go. Sorry, I had to remove Alex from the stage for uh, playing that song, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll let him back up. What was Alex up to the last two weeks? Uh, I think you got booted, bro. Jerk. I think that counts. I'm pretty sure it counts. Some of you motherfuckers out there owe me five million sets. Let's go. Pay up. Oh, that's fucking awesome, dude. That's amazing. Oh, that's the funniest fucking thing I've seen in a long time. <laughs> All right, it took me a minute to get the co-host back. Some of you might be highly confused by this. Just, just ignore it. Pretend it didn't happen. For those of you who know, you know, somebody owes me five million sats. Let's go. I'll expect payment by the end of the day. Thank you. You need to publish an address, then. I'll wait for them to reach out to me. All right. That's good. Well, congratulations. Don't spend it all in one place. Thanks, man. I If they pay. <laughs> I doubt they're going to pay. They're going to come up with some weasel way to say, oh, we don't know you because you didn't follow the rules because of whatever. I don't give a shit. Yeah, you didn't read the fine print. It said the temperature had to be 85 exactly. Hold on. The best part is, is that you played the game. I mean, come on. That's all you can do, right? At some point, you just, you just gotta, you just gotta bow down and play the game. I am bound down to nobody. Fuck that. Good morning, Matt. See how you doing? Hey, hey, all. Doing well. Uh, it's nice to be back from summer vacay. Hope everyone had a happy Labor Day and uh, excited for the fall. It's been good. It's been good. What have you been doing in this sideways, crabby kind of market, Matt? <laughs> Uh, just laughing at how predictable this, um, let's just call it the fourth quarter before the having always is every single cycle, it, the weirdest bud comes out and it's the too long didn't read is like, is basically what if the Bitcoin having somehow breaks BTC every single cycle, new cycle, same FUD. It's just a different reiteration. And, it, it boggles my mind just how uh, exact history repeats every four years. But, I mean, what are you going to do? Mickey, good morning. What's up? Hey, yeah. So it's like it's kind of like that mining death spiral story that pops up every four years. And I, I think it just illustrates how little these shit coiners really understand about Bitcoin. Cause, cause I got, you know, I got my buddy, I talk about him every once in a while, but he loves ETH, you know, and he'll, he'll talk shit to me, but every once in a while he'll text me with just like the most insanely basic question about Bitcoin. And he's like, Oh dude, I thought you were like the crypto expert. I thought you were Bitcoin. I thought you like understood everything, but they don't, they're just fed these, these narratives from these influencers. Um, we're sort of obviously grifting to most of us, but yeah, it's just, it's just dumb shit. So, I mean, the my, minor death spiral is pretty easily fixed by a couple of difficulty adjustments and then boom, the day is saved. 
it's not even it, it's not even that it's so this is the perfect uh place to talk about this because you can't explain it in a tweet or two but what we're watching is the most competitive uh, uh race of accruing hash rate increasing your efficiency and putting your competition out of business you you you're right you might have the weaker miners that go out of business after the 2024 halving, but you have the big players that have never been more profitable today. Uh, names that you know of, like Riot, Marathon, these guys are sitting on 60, 70, 80% margins today. And you ask, like, well, how is that possible? It's because they keep slamming on the latest and greatest Bitcoin miners that are twice as more powerful and efficient and profit generating as the previous generation. So you're literally putting your competition out of business. You don't have to hire uh, tons of uh, new people or more administrative uh, costs just for putting a couple more computers online. Uh, your only, your only uh, impediment is energy costs, but these smart players, they, they set their deals in terms of years, three years, five years, and if they're in Texas, they get energy credits just for shutting off. So it's such a it's a nuanced, complex conversation. And you're right, like grifters, crypto influencers, they prey on that fud, that fear uh, that a new person just doesn't understand. Like, well, well, I read that if Bitcoin doesn't hit 50k by having all the miners are gonna, you know, go bankrupt. It's like that's so. There's so much wrong with that, and it's impossible to explain in just one tweet. Tomer, do you have any thoughts here? I, is there a lot of that fight going around more than usual, or, or are we more sensitive uh, to the relatively same amount of it that's going around because it's kind of a bear market and it's dull and and, and the halving is indeed coming up, so we're taking it a little more seriously. I, I don't actually know. I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised to hear this because I would say I, I, it's hard to put your finger on the timing because you, you forget, but all this talk of security budget and whatnot seemed like it was a conversation that was maybe at the beginning of this year, if my memory serves correctly. And then it kind of went away because the Bitcoin price went up and the fees went up on the, uh, to use Bitcoin. So it suddenly seemed like the security budget which is this made up fallacious concept um went away uh, but it sounds like it's coming back i think there's always um there's always a lot of confusion about bitcoin and there may always be but certainly because it's so new because so few people understand how it works because it's got so short a history there are people who are going to try to take advantage of that by intentionally spreading false information there are people who are going to be honestly mistaken and, and honestly confused and have pretty ra rational sounding arguments for why they genuinely believe something is is wrong with Bitcoin. And the only thing that proves them wrong is that Bitcoin keeps functioning exactly as designed. And I think this is really, this kind of gets me going on where the whole altcoin space always comes from. All the, all these forks of bitcoin the, the overwhelming majority of altcoins are just copy paste code of bitcoin and change a few variables and see where it goes or they've gotten a little bit more sophisticated since because all of those have died out but it's really like why bother what what's your hypothesis as to 
what's wrong with Bitcoin that needs to be fixed, especially if Bitcoin's offering itself, presenting itself as money. I, I think other coins came into existence and tried to offer different things, but wouldn't let go of the fact that like, oh, and we're also money like Bitcoin and they weren't money like Bitcoin. So they, they ended up suffering from this tremendous identity crisis, which, which still devours them. But I'm kind of going off on a few different tangents, happy to pick up anywhere um, without trying to confuse the conversation too much. I see lots of hands up. So there has been, I mean, Dylan LeClaire just put out a tweet about it, um, I think yesterday, um, a little video tweet about it. There has been quite a bit of, of resurgent FUD on this. And also, you know, I, I think we're beginning to notice that the narrative um, has changed. I mean, even Peter Zeehan in a recent um, video, um, instead of, you know, his it wasn't too long ago he was saying Bitcoin is worth less than zero, and now he's implying that it is at least has the same value as Zelle. So the, the the narrative is definitely changing, and I think that the people who have been fudding Bitcoin are getting a little desperate. I, I, I really think that they are starting to see how anti-fragile this thing is and how um, every attack on Bitcoin seems to only strengthen it. It's kind of like in... Um, in uh, the fifth element, when they're going after the the dark thing out in the sky that wants to destroy humanity, and every time they throw something at it, it just gets stronger. It's just, it's a really it's a really cool thing to watch. Yeah, I just Peter, I, I thought you were going to talk about Chris Tucker on the fifth element, um, but I see you went with that big blob thing. Hey, Matt, do you also think there's a little bit of um, sometimes people they. Uh, they mix up like miners going out of business with a problem with Bitcoin, you know, when in reality, there's just bad businesses that go out, especially with something like the having where, you know, good miners are going to plan for it. Like you said, they're going to make adjustments. They're going to not get over their skis. They're in it for the long haul. And of course, you're going to have miners going out of business um, that didn't plan right. And I think people take that narrative and then some of the big miners do project this you know, to their investors, like, hey, we're strong. There's a lot of people not going to make it. And then you have people that are listening in going like, oh, Bitcoin, there's a big problem because all these miners are going out of business. But I think that happens sometimes. I don't know. Curious what your thoughts no, are. No, I absolutely, I 100% agree with you. Absolutely. And it's it's not just uh, to Tomer's point. Um, it's, it's a little more widespread than just the Twitter Bitcoin bubble and crypto bubble. You have, you have uh, media like uh, Bloomberg or Seeking Alpha is really bad about this. It seems like once a month they've got a new article about how, uh, you know, unless Bitcoin price hits X, all these Bitcoin miners are going to, you know, go out, of, go out of business and become suddenly unprofitable overnight. Uh, and that'll, you know, question mark, question mark, kill or hurt Bitcoin. It, it's, it's the same iteration over and over. And, I mean, they sit on these. You're right. They sit on these articles and then just uh, send them out when Bitcoin is either going uh, price stagnant or a downturn. You know, obviously it doesn't get any traction. You're right when uh, when Bitcoin prints a five percent or ten percent candle, but they sit on it and wait to dole it out in the summer doldrums. Um, but yeah, that, to your to your point, Dom, that's absolutely right. Um, Bitcoin miners get lumped into this one basket. Uh, yet they could not be more complex, and we're watching one of the most competitive global um, races on the planet. 
we forget that only 35-40% of Bitcoin hash rate is within North America. The vast majority isn't in this country, period. And the vast majority of Bitcoin miners are not public companies not reporting their numbers. So you have to imagine, like, well, if they don't need retail investment, if they don't need Vanguard or BlackRock or et cetera buying their company shares, if they don't need to, you know, shill their mining products on Twitter, they're clearly profitable somehow, some way. The, the vast majority of Bitcoin miners don't need public money or the New York Stock Exchange or, or NASDAQ. So anyway, I'm just, I'm starting to ramble, but my point is this is so complex and people keep trying to make these grandiose generalizations on Twitter and they're wrong. That's, that's a great, I, I, I just want to build a couple of things on it. Mining is a very unique business. It, it, in two particular ways that I kind of want to bring up, there's, there's lots of others, but one is the more people who enter the market, doesn't affect the supply that it's generated uh, of the good that they're in competition, right? Like more miners come in, same number of Bitcoin gets printed every 10 minutes. The opposite is true as well, just the, the inverse of it. If people leave, the same amount of Bitcoin gets printed. It, so it's kind of, it's mind boggling. It's totally unlike mining of any natural commodity. Someone else gets into gold mining, they produce more gold than would have otherwise been produced. But that's not the case with Bitcoin. The, one of the other things that's kind of interesting, which, which I suppose is somewhat similar to, to mining, is it's a great business that, in that whatever you produce, you don't have to spend any money. Like no Bitcoin miners have a marketing budget to try to sell the Bitcoin that they mine. It's just it's a pure commodity sold into an open market. So they focus 100% of their resources on efficiently mining, not on attempting to differentiate via branding or marketing or any, anything of that sort. They just have to focus on being as purely as efficient as they can, which is a point that goes to, I think, what Matt was alluding to. It's a Bitcoin is ruthless to miners, right? It's a harsh master. It says only those of you who can produce profitably get to stay in business for any period of time. I'm not interested in subsidies. I'm not interested in giveaways. I'm not interested in sob stories. Produce efficiently and stay in business don't produce efficiently let someone else do it but tomer you bring up a great point we need like a a funny comedic video of a miner uh making a commercial to sell their bitcoin <clears throat> someone has to make that at some point well you know like i think they're they're people quit very quickly learn their lesson they're going to say like oh we mine with nothing but solar or we mine with nothing but wind and at the end of the day the bitcoin buyers you know, the Bitcoin is actually fungible, right? They say, well, I'm, I'm not going to pay a premium for Bitcoin that was mined this way versus Bitcoin that was mined that way. I'm not going to pay a premium for any Bitcoin over another Bitcoin because they are a perfectly fungible commodity. And, and this is true about commodity. Like this, again, uh, it's something that makes it much more like a commodity than something, than any other kind of asset, a branded asset or a security or anything of that nature. It just, when the market tells you any, any supply, any two different supplies of this thing are going to be valued equally uh, if they're in equal quantity, that is a very commodity characteristic attribute. Hey, I love what you guys are saying. And I think the part of what's going on here is like the fiat system has made this, you know, it, 
it puts a bad look on like when companies go out of business, like that's a bad thing. But if you're not allocating capital in an efficient way, then you deserve to go out of business, right? The fiat system just has all this cheap debt and zombie companies can survive forever and ever. But with Bitcoin, there isn't any of that, right? If, if a miner's not mining as efficiently as they can be and they're using more uh, electricity to produce, you know, Bitcoin that's not as valuable as the electricity that they're consuming, then they deserve to go under. So it's, it's perfectly ruthless and it, it really is a truly free market unlike, you know, the fiat system that just allows zombie companies to survive endlessly. Well, and this and, is what kicks tuning, off. This is what Matt, can I just make a really course, fine course. point here? Like, um, and as we're fine tuning these definitions, right? Bitcoin is a truly global commodity. Uh, so it's like if you produce apples somewhere, well, there's a shipping cost to ship them halfway around the world. They might not make it there before rotting. So it's not a perfectly efficient global commodity. But Bitcoin can be shipped anywhere in the world instantly. Ten minutes if you're really nitpicky. Um, and it never goes bad. Uh, not after ten minutes, not after a thousand years. So it's this perfectly efficient global commodity market for electricity. And that has huge implications downstream as it becomes more valuable and mining plays a bigger and bigger part of load balancing the grid and all sorts of other things that are likely still to come. Uh, but I just kind of wanted to point that out, that th this is what's very unique about Bitcoin as, as a commodity, even compared to gold. You know, gold obviously lasts thousands of years, but um, is not easy to transport globally. And so you end up with all sorts of other limitations, um, which which is another tangent. So I'll, I'll give it back, the mic back to Matt. Well, this this is this is what uh, has been jump starting the conversation from everything from BIP 300, 301 drive chains to uh, the tail emissions conversation to uh, or to or to just their most disingenuous Bitcoin has a medium term, long term problem. Therefore, you need to consider X, Y, Z crypto. But it's all the same thing. It's all it's all, uh, you know, leaning into this misunderstanding of why Bitcoin mining is this hyper competitive industry and using that to imply, well, there, you know, there's this there's this major problem that's going to kick off in 2024, maybe even worse in 2028 there. Ergo, we need to fix Bitcoin with this, you know, with this soft fork, hard fork or whatever have you. I'm here to, you know, I'm here to uh, manufacture or generate uh, fee-based uh, profits for miners that, um, uh, trust me, will solve and help Bitcoin. Or just the most disingenuous, like that's why you just can't trust Bitcoin long term and you got to go look at XYZ crypto. But it, it's the same, I don't want to say scam, but uh, lie. Yeah, it's the same fallacy. Like I put it that way because I think some people are making I, I think there are people who are honestly making the mistake. They're honestly in error about what's going on. Some of them have emotional commitments. They have heavy bags and other things that make it hard for them to be honest to themselves, which is a whole other psychological point. But it is it it people the fact that people fall for this narrative, even though it's it doesn't hold together under close scrutiny, does suggest that there are people who honestly fall for the fallacious re reasoning behind it. And I think that that is um, that's always going to be a part of Bitcoin because it's always going to be something different than in history. One can always say, you know, this is the end times for 
Western civilization, democracy, whatever. And, and sometimes it, that feels more realistic a claim than at other times. So I, I think we do always have to evaluate all of these claims closely, uh, but from the starting position, not from the starting position saying, oh, this is the time, but it's like, well, what, what does this argument hinge on? What does it rest on? And does something that's already known and exist with certainty um, pacify this argument, nullify this argument? And I think that that's what's actually true, right? People don't understand enough details. This is what... Um, Mickey, I think, was saying earlier, they don't understand enough of the details, so they fall for these arguments. And then you have to enter into a long discussion around how the difficulty adjustment fixes this or how going out of business fixes this or how all, all sorts of other things fixes and that we've seen much of this stuff before. But just presuming that somebody is, um, is intentionally dishonest and pushing um, and pushing something to destroy Bitcoin or to push their bag, their heavy bags of an altcoin isn't always, um, it, it isn't intellectually the best thing for, for one to do. I'm, I'm not saying anyone should spend all of their time refuting false claims, fall fallacious claims. Uh, but it's, it's important to know, like, especially if some are becoming more widespread, it's really useful to understand for yourself, not, not, oh, there's a bunch of guys at Cafe Bitcoin who said it's fallacious. It's like, okay, well, why let me understand what's going on in bitcoin that actually makes this argument toothless um so i, I do think it's it's nice of us to I, I don't again don't want to spend all of our time on these things but i think it's nice from time to time to go into this and sometimes you have to go a little bit deeper into some of these topics because the nature of the argument is deep in, in its in its uh in, in where its fallacy lies and where its error lies, whether again, that error is there by design intentionally or by accident. I think the best way to approach it is to do sort of how we're doing and just address the arguments themselves, not get into the weeds of, you know, a, a 20 reply long tweet with some shit corner that's making disingenuous arguments. Just put the case out there, you know, publicly on a platform like this, because a lot of the, the shit corners, they just make bad faith arguments and it's not worth going back and forth with them. It's the same thing with the uh, fiat maxis as well. And and John Har actually had a had a, a tweet thread with a with a uh, fiat maxi, and it was funny because he just kept saying the same. That John just kept just kept what was John doing? John just kept saying like a few words, and then this guy would just do this tweet storm, and then John would just say a couple of words and just trigger this guy. It was really funny. It's a great one to read. Yeah, Bitcoin just keeps working, you know, and maybe if you're looking for a North Star in all of these conversations, it is something like Bitcoin made certain promises. Satoshi made certain promises in the white paper of Bitcoin. And even after he disappeared, all those promises are still being kept. If you see a promise that's not being kept, that's where there's a question. Right? Is a 21 million cap being kept? Yep. Are the 10 minute block times on average being kept? is the permissionless nature of participating in Bitcoin, both in the mining and in the transacting and holding side being kept. Yep. All of these problems, you can go through the whole white paper and say, and then you can ask, ask a question of the white paper, like does this system as a whole that provides these features unbreakably make for really good money? <laughs> Takes you down the philosophical rabbit hole of, well, what is money? What is good money? What is bad money? But 
but you know that, that's a really useful thing and a lot of bitcoiners are studying it and many are publishing books about it now lynn alden's new book is amazing i haven't finished it all but she's done a really amazing job for fans of her writing or soon to be fans of her writing so i i think that's the north star rather than listen to some somebody with a random attack out of the side it's like okay if this person's saying that bitcoin has this problem why is it still delivering on all its promises? Is this problem relevant to the promises that it said it would deliver on? Maybe it's completely irrelevant. It's not a, then it's not a problem. Like it doesn't do altcoins. Well, it never was meant to do altcoins. It was meant to be perfect money, you know, that people could rely on over the internet without a trusted third party. So it's not a problem that Bitcoin doesn't do altcoins. And, 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 and like very quickly, you can say, ah, that's not, that has nothing to do with why I'm interested in Bitcoin. Why, why should that be interesting? There's lots of other things for altcoins. And then you can say, well, why shouldn't it do altcoins? Well, because they're centralized in the first instance. It, like, by de- like, I want to be decentralized. And then they're just a clone of Bitcoin, which is a form of inflation. Or they're centralized. Like they're tokens in a company. And the company can issue new ones when it needs to raise capital or cancel old ones when it has excess capital or change the terms and conditions of what rights one is entitled to. And so like that's centralized. You don't need a blockchain except, you know, a blockchain might make it easier to transfer these things from one to another to disintermediate those things, but it doesn't change the central nature that corporations, companies have leadership that needs to make decisions, including financing decisions. Um, so for, forget the need for that stuff uh, on Bitcoin. Anyhow, I, find, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. I'm just trying to help people tune into how to think about claims that Bitcoin has a problem. I guess just the, the other side of the coin is that if people are claiming Bitcoin has a problem, you'll, one of the things you'll notice about all the claims is it's a problem that will arise in the future. Right? Nobody can find any problem with it in the present. It's like, oh, in 30 years, the security budget will dwindle. In 2109, there's a bug with the date that isn't fixed yet. And you know, what's going to be in 20- I lost Homer. Is it just me? Lost him too. Yeah, well, on his point, I mean, he's right. You know, the argument is like, oh, Bitcoin will have a problem in the future if, you know, if- if there's not enough people using it for there to be high transaction fees, it's like, yeah, if there's, nobody's using Bitcoin in the future, obviously there's a problem. But some of these altcoins, they have problems right now. Like <laughs> Ethereum is on proof of stake right now. That's a present problem where Bitcoin is just, you know, the arguments against it are all these hypothetical scenarios where if Bitcoin was vulnerable at this time, you know, there would already have been some sort of attack, right? Bitcoin is clearly a threat to the existence of the fiat system. If there was a way to attack it, they already would have done so. So they just have to resort to these these future doomsday scenarios. All right, we got Tomer reconnecting. I wonder about you're starting to see news like countries like Oman are setting up Bitcoin mining or they're endorsing it in some way or another. 
that's another interesting um, event that's happening in relation to the overall mining picture. Yeah, um, we can say we we can confidently say at least sixty percent of Bitcoin hash rate does not come from North America. You know, so we're including Canada, we're including Mexico, including the Gulf does not come from us and, and our borders so absolutely whether you're talking oman kazakhstan uh qatar uh, uh where else uh, iran uh you, you know you name it russia there and there china of course but that and not only not within uh us borders but don't feel the need don't have any interest in publicly listing on U.S. exchanges or um, or even um, European exchanges, that that tells you a lot. So that means that they're able to be profitable, fund in, fund operations, put on more hash rate because uh, they're still maintaining their global share um, into the future. So <laughs> this this spread around Bitcoin mining is, is again it's it's completely disingenuous. Um, uh, people are taking advantage of it for their own personal interests, whether it's to push some fix that they feel uh, Bitcoin needs or to push you in some crypto direction because, well, you, I mean, clearly Bitcoin has this medium long-term problem and, uh, you know, don't want to, you wouldn't want to be left holding the bag uh, at, at quote-unquote date. I'm back. Sorry, you guys lost. I can still hear you guys complaining that you couldn't hear me, but what can I do? Although now I don't hear anyone speaking, so I don't oh, know. Oh, no, if it's you're good. Don't worry. We got you. Okay. Cool. Well, are we still talking about mining? Morning, Wicked. What's up? Good morning. Did you guys um, mention the video that, uh, oh, what's his name? The young dude. Um, trying to find his fucking name. I don't know. Uh, Dylan? Dylan? Yeah, I think it's Dylan. Dylan put yeah, out yeah. the video. Did you talk about that video of him talking about mining? I think he put it yeah, out yesterday. Yeah, br briefly. The, the critiques of it. The critiques of Dylan's video is so stupid. Like, people are critiquing him because he didn't because he didn't take like a thirty minute TED talk, or <laughs> or MIT presentation. This is Twitter. This is Twitter X. People are making fun because it wasn't this like in depth scientific analysis of Bitcoin mining. Like, oh my god. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think like simplicity is better, and the way that he presented it is like a pretty straightforward idea that makes a lot of sense right if if miners can't profitably mine bitcoin they drop off the block time goes down it becomes harder to get your transaction processed you increase your fee rate to get your transaction processed faster <laughs> fees go up it gets more profitable to mine bitcoin miners come back online i mean it's like it's kind of obvious right when you just think about it for a second 
Well, I, if I have one critique, and I don't want to put this at Dylan because we all make this mistake. We 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 talk about Bitcoin miners as this one one group, as this one lump, and um, as we were mentioning earlier, you couldn't have a more diverse, hyper competitive industry. You've got some that have never been more profitable right now, right at Bitcoin at 25K. They're putting on the state-of-the-art S19 XP miners, which are double the power, double the efficiency of previous generations. So they're literally making more money at their same operating cost under their same energy contracts and simultaneously putting the weak competition out of business. That would be a great point if, if people kept making that point. Like, look, you've got, you've got, this is capitalism. The strongest are trying to put the weakest out of business. These strong, the strongest Bitcoin miners already put your average pleb in the negative underwater. You don't have your, your average pleb isn't making money on Bitcoin mining like they used to in 2021 with five-year-old or older equipment. They're, they've been underwater for two years. Now the, now the best of the best are trying to put the weak public miners out of business. And they're going to do that all the way up to the having because this, you know, it's capitalism. They're not here for handshakes and hugs. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, and, and, and it's not just the, you know, the miners themselves that like the equipment, right? It's, it's the input costs. So if you've got very low cost energy or free energy, even right, you can imagine a pleb up in New Hampshire who has a bunch of solar panels and like, and, and they're literally not doing anything with that, you know, excess energy. You just slap a few miners on there and you can mine at profitably at any cost, right? Like Bitcoin could go to fucking $1. You'd still be profitable because your energy input is zero, right? So, and then you scale that up and you, you realize there's some miners out there that are paying next to nothing for their energy because they're using, you know, excess energy and all that kind of shit so yeah i mean i don't know there's always going to be profitable miners i mean it's just kind of by definition there's places in the world where energy is essentially free or very very cheap and we see this and there's this also to keep in mind sorry Tom, go ahead the, um, there's the value that the that the individual entity mining puts on bitcoin right they get paid in bitcoin and it, for the first few years of Bitcoin, when there really was no market for it, right? People were mining out of curiosity and mining and holding out of curiosity, uh, not because there was a profit, an immediate profit, right? They, they were already starting to think long-term and diversify their holdings. So a company that's in the business of mining and can stay in business because they're well-financed by other individuals who have a long-term view of bitcoins worth can continue to mine even when when it's not profitable in fiat terms to do so for some for some of them as was the case for many years in bitcoin i just think what's so important the point that you're touching on is like bitcoin survives all these things bitcoin survives tons of energy going at it and it survives steady amount of energy going at it and it survives a huge withdrawal of energy going into it it's built to survive it's like what when i try to analyze it it's like the number one design criteria that satoshi always prioritized over everything else 
is survivability. That's the difficulty adjustment. That's the decentralization. That's the anyone can participate from anywhere in the world. All of those things allow it to survive. Anything particularly bad happening to any one of those things in any one or many places in, in the world. And so like Bitcoin just marches on no, no matter what. And then, it, and then it finds that the seasons turn and things become favorable to it once again. And so we, we human beings sitting here calling it cycles, um, which, which is not bad because the seasons are, are a cyclical uh, phenomenon. But they, there's different seasons at different frequencies, some, some that do repeat and some that don't. I'll pause there. I know there's others I want to speak. It's not, and it's it's not unique to only Bitcoin. It'd be that'd be really something if this phenomenon only existed in Bitcoin. But it's not true. We see this. We this is the economic dynamics that we see in gold mining. There's the economic dynamics we see in oil drilling, uh, in and oil production. Uh, as the price of oil is a great example. Um, growing up in Texas, I thought that was originally going to be my career path. But we'd see as oil goes up in price, you would have oil fields start spinning up operations, tur uh, uh, turning their um, units and their drilling and hiring and turning all that back on uh, as price would hit $60, $70, $90 a barrel. And then the inverse is true too. As, as oil price per barrel would fall, these large operations, they don't just they don't just, you know, ditch everything. They, they just shut them down, um, pause operations, turn, turn their most expensive sites off and wait for price to rise again in the future. But the, it, it's not as elegant and seamless as Bitcoin mining, but the dynamic is exactly the same. Morning, Bane. What's up? How are y'all doing? Tick TikTok next block. Yep. But what if those blocks get like really, really slow? The uh, mathematic difficulty adjustment algorithm will uh, correct. Just wait two weeks. No, Peter. You okay, all right, whatever, a hundred and fucking whatever thousand blocks, whatever, whatever it is. No, Peter. I mean, come on. Listen, Wicked, I just confirmed my first transaction with my own node last night. And it was awesome. Wow. Well done, sir. Now you need to get an entirely new wallet so that, you know, the old one that has been spied on is, uh, is toast. Because all of your old expubs are probably exposed to the previous nodes that you're using. So. Yeah, well, that's okay because uh, uh, it's not going to happen. I've got way too much coin control to go through that process again. Just consolidate everything into a really, really big UTXO, Peter. Set, set a new record.
Yeah, maybe maybe at the depths of the bear market when the miners aren't making any money and um, you know, I can wait for those X hundred thousand blocks uh, for the difficulty adjustment. And while I'm waiting, things are super cheap. For those in the Bing. audience who don't know what we're talking about, it's the, the fees that are involved. So the more UTXOs you have, the higher the fees are to consolidate because you're adding weight to your transaction and the the fees are based on the transaction weight. So there's a fine balance between between uh, the size of your UTXOs uh, and um, uh, privacy. And so it's a, just kind of a place. This is actually something Wicked taught me a long time ago, listening to him in spaces, I think two years ago, actually, when, he first, when I first met him. He was talking about coin control. So, and this idea that you have to kind of try to, well, you don't have to, but it's good to try to figure out, you know, to think about how expensive are things going to be in the future for on-chain transactions and what, what size of UTXO do you need to make that worthwhile? And of course, now there's solutions coming out for this very problem, things like Fediments that may take care of that. So it may not be an issue at all. Just following up on some of this stuff, we were talking about like chain analytics, disclosure, privacy, and people have been quite worried about this. There was an article I saw very recently. I didn't, I didn't have time to go down the rabbit hole deeply, but it basically was accusing Chainalysis, the company that leads the world in chain analytics, of, of their whole algorithm, their whole methodology being bokum, snake oil, whatever, whatever the analogy is, not being a reliable algorithm, which I think is, is quite interesting. I, I hate to throw FUD out there without being able to validate it, but it gets done. You know, it, it, what's good for the goose may be good for the gander in this case. Did anyone here come across that article or that story and follow it up in any more detail? Otherwise, I wouldn't encourage people to disregard what I'm saying. Do some, I'll do some research into it and come back later. Morning, Tao. How are you doing? Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, I am loving the price action, guys. I know a lot of people are feeling really bearish, and I don't know how you guys feel about this discount that I feel is coming up. I feel like there's going to be some price movement to the downside, which I'm really excited for. Um, but I know other people are not as happy, right? Because they're like, oh, my God, I'm losing faith and things like that. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, because you know, people say, oh, you have fiat, go ahead, and you should already smash buying. But I'm not doing that. I mean, to me, I'm, I'm a greedy person, so I like to wait for the best value. And I've been kind of waiting for this moment, even though I, mean, I smash buy every single day, uh, multiple times a day, just depends on it, what was the, the, the price movement. But as far as like, waiting for the big thing that's going to come again, like, you know, one, one of these few thousand dollar dips, I'm excited for it. I feel like that's happening. And a lot a lot of other people's sentiment the same way. They've been talking about this, like, hey, it just feels bearish. And they're expecting even more low prices down to like 
23 even, which I'm kind of shocked by. But to me, man, if we go sub 25, that's super duper value, and I'll probably move in big again during that time. So for everyone who's using the correct unit of account, that would be over 4,000 sats per dollar. I love measuring in sats per dollar. Um, what really terrified me last cycle was seeing it go from 10,000 sats per dollar down to like 15, 1,600 sats per dollar, like, you know, an order of magnitude in what seemed like a very short amount of time. And I just thought, you know, we have, we only have so many more sats per dollar to, to equal dollar sat parity. And a large percentage of those evaporated during the last couple cycles. And it's, uh, it was terrifying. Larry thinks Barber's going to kill it. He's ready. Does Larry Fink have hair? Yeah, I thought he was bald. He's got no, hair somewhere. He, he got he to get the sides still trimmed a little bit. I first started measuring my, uh, my salary, my dollars, <laughs> dollars per hour converted into sats per hour around the time vein that you were talking about when it was about 10,000 sats per dollar right before the bull run. And I remember I asked my uh, manager if I could get a contract, a yearly contract in, <laughs> in sats per hour. Uh, and uh, yeah, he said no. And then about three months later, my, uh, my Satoshi denominated earnings fell off a cliff and I got very sad. It was really the speed last time between, you know, 10K, 5K, 2K with, you know, as measured in sats per dollar. It it kind of blew me away, and um, there's just not that much more room to run, it felt like, you know, using, using that metric. So, I don't know, perspective, I suppose. Tao, have you started to measure your net worth in terms of Bitcoin yet? Probably not, because he still has fiat. What do you guys think is going to happen with the... Uh... GBTC application for an ETF. Any short term or long opinions? Term? Both. I mean, short term, it's already been punted. <laughs> like the SEC is very quick to call for a punt. <laughs> it's like they sit and sit and sit, and then a court says you got to do something. So they say, oh, we'll delay. We'll delay. So there's there's something going on with delaying now. Uh, denying seems to have been taken off the table by the court. Right? The court said you cannot deny. 
So delay is the only tactic that they're left with, um, in the, particularly in the GBTC case. Uh, so they're, they're regrouping. It's a lot of speculation as to why. Why not just capitulate and let this thing happen? Is it because they're hostile? Is it because someone is twisting their arm? Is it because they have something else in the works that might be good or bad for Bitcoin downstream? Like they're trying to shut down Binance is one uh, speculation thing. They're trying to make it clear that Bitcoin's different from altcoins is another thing. And so that might be the reason for delay. Eventually, time for delays runs out. Um, and so this is why the speculation is all, will it be much later this year, early next year, late next year? And that's really hard to know because I don't think any of us actually knows. We can speculate and some of us may turn out to be right, but I don't think any of us actually know what's going on here that's causing them to repeatedly delay. Yeah, Tomer, I had thought that they, they got back saying that their denial was not valid. They can deny again. They just have to come up with a new denial and reach to who knows what depths. I think if you go with the BlackRock has the inside track theory where like, all right, they, they, they got all the connects. I, I kind of anticipate, and like Tomer said, 100% speculation. I do not get my hair cut at the same spot as, as Fink's barber, so I have no validity in, in this. But if you can anticipate Grayscale getting some kind of approval where there's a delay to when it can kick in, like I see them jamming Grayscale like this, like, all right, y'all are approved, but there's this three to four month thing because of how you did it or something like that, that you'll have to wait before you get it and then blackrock slides in you know the day before some to be first to market some kind of shenanigans like that and what that time frame is whether you know the big thing is the 40 or what is it 60 day window uh that joe carlosari was saying i think for when they have to respond to to uh, grayscale but i see some if i were to guess a random guess grayscale gets the approval with some kind of delay maybe into next year um, and then in the middle of that delay, uh, the, the other, the rest of the gang slides in. Yeah, for some recent commentary. <laughs> Is it before or after the having? And, and will people then attribute? <laughs> price changes to the ETFs or to the having or to the anticipation of either of these things. Like we never have a clear picture of what went on in its pure sense, which is why these speculative theories all hang on for so long, cycle after cycle. I, I think before is 99.9% before the having, only because as the narrative around the having fires up, institutions i believe will once again you know already are and will be more um you know uh frustrated looking for other things to miss out on on something that they may or may not understand to be uh inevitable you know which is the price action surrounding the having by the way off his ass Dom, congratulations on your uh, your most recent 
Nakamoto Gauntlet. That was pretty cool. What were your uh, takeaways from that? Yeah, thanks, Alex. And a big shout-out to Nico, too, who was uh, working the boards like a madman. It was a great show. Um, for those that, that missed it, we had the president of the Professional Firefighters of Wisconsin on, along with the secretary treasurer of the Professional Firefighters of Wisconsin. And the secretary treasurer also is a sitting board member on the Wisconsin Retirement System, which is the eighth largest U.S. public pension. Um, they actually are one of the healthier pensions uh, sitting nearly 100% funded. They've been really well managed, and a lot of that was due to uh, one of the guys we had on, Steve Wilden, being just a good advocate and doing a lot of work behind the scenes. He's not on the investment board, but he is on the oversight board, and so he's very you know involved. Uh, it was really good. I think just the fact that, you know, a lot of times if you listen to the show, we want to get all these points across. And, and within the hour, we want them to be like, oh, yeah, it hit me. You know, like, got it. We're we're going in with the pension fund at two percent. But I think just having a positive experience, I think they had a good time. Uh, Foss, you know, they, they were it was hockey to hockey town. So there was some good hockey to hockey connection there. And and just the. The leaving the show with a positive experience surrounding Bitcoin, I believe, um, from follow up with them, will open the door for them to take a closer look, evaluate it, and now um, have their radar, you know, up versus just being walled off with all the the media BS. So very good. Um, check out the show if you miss it. I know it's on YouTube, and and I think it was a great uh, great show. So, Dom, man, like the, it's amazing to hear all this stuff. And just again, from my own experience, it's like you get people excited about Bitcoin. The follow-up is so crucial. And the follow-up is where maybe nine-tenths of the effort ends up coming in because they remember being excited. They remember the sizzle of, of the discussion. But the, the, if it's not reinforced, they, they forget quickly. Like the <laughs> human's ability to retain things is follow some kind of 80-20 rule where like in in two days they forget 80 percent of what was said so the reinforcement needs to really needs to occur to transform something into action and i, I hope that there's some way that you guys can uh, can maintain that because it, it's like it's very exciting to hear pension funds especially ones that support labor um seeing the importance slash opportunity slash potential of Bitcoin for them for the long run, like leading into retirement. Um, and, and also the worry for me arises, it's like, well, yeah, but then the new, new thing comes up at them tomorrow and we are unable to keep Bitcoin front and center and they forget about it other than, oh, this was some curious thing we talked about. It sounded really interesting at the time, all kinds of passionate people. What happened to them? Yeah, we're we, 100%. We're going to follow up and get them some sats um, and at Peter's request, not through FOSS uh, handling the wallet selection and tech side of things. We also in the audience, I see CoinFather uh, down there, you know, but like just on the show, they realized in the messages that there was someone in Madison, CoinFather, who runs a, a, a regular meetup, which that's where the Wisconsin uh, president uh, his home department is in Madison that he's also the president of that union. So it's like, all right, cool. So hitting up with some, some meetups, um, some, some self custody, you know, getting, I think there's also a great opportunity for even 
if pension funds don't go in ahead of the spot ETF, if they can get education ahead of it and they're coming to the table, be, you know, at these meetings and maybe an investment board member is like, yeah, we're going to pick up this ETF. And, and they raise their hand and go, well, you know, that's not true self custody of Bitcoin. Like the power of that is unbelievable just to, to sneak in and get this education ahead of the spot ETF. So yeah, we're going to follow up with a bunch of stuff. I think it'll open the door for more funds because look, right? Like a lot of these funds have this fear, like, well, if I go on this show and talk Bitcoin, then I'm an FTX scammer now. And the, and my people are going to roast me. No, no, no. Everything's okay. It's safe. We're just talking shop. We're not making any investments. We're just talking. And, um, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a great experience. And so hopefully we can replicate that and get more funds, uh, educated, at least on self custody ahead of, uh, a very likely Bitcoin spot ETF approval. So, um, two things, one, I watched, I, I was there for the whole show. It was, it was great. <clears throat> I love the format. And, um, I actually, uh, learned quite a bit because, uh, you know, between Foss, Joe, uh, Carlosari, and uh, Alpha Zeta, you're definitely going to get some some high signal. So, uh, and some alpha. So uh, it was great to watch. But uh, actually, you know, now that I think about it, if Foss does introduce these guys to uh, hardware wallets and uh, Lightning wallets, I, I think that should be recorded uh, on video because it is going to be the next uh, who's on first. Uh, um, Abbott and Costello kind of uh, kind of uh, a video. Can we get that show shared in the nest or in the threads over here? I, I did not see it and I'm like really excited to see it now. Yeah, I'll pop it up there. Uh, I'll pop a link up there or Nico I'm sure has one too with the YouTube link. And, and, and to Peter's point, I think we do have a very good chance at scoring FOSS a coaching role in the Wisconsin firefighters, like firefighter uh, winter Olympics for their, whatever their hockey team, because he brought some heavy um, hockey coach vibes. And I feel like they were like, dude, we need this guy on the team. So that that's in the works too, which could be right. You think of all the people you're going to orange pill on that hockey team. If Foss is there and they're calling a, a timeout and it's overtime and they think Foss is going to be talking strategy. And he's like, this is the most asymmetrical asset i've ever seen in my fucking life and they're like holy shit <laughs> sorry how do we deal with this guy like what is the deal who foss yeah oh come on foss Dumb. is a, foss is a pussy cat you just you know as a moderator you know alex as a moderator you just let him go and then you know, eventually you've got to yank on the leash. That's all. It's terrified of that soundboard that he's, he's got. Good Lord. Hey, Dom, uh, what is the... Hey, Dom, what is the AUM that these funds are managing? The AUM? Yeah, like assets, what is the total size? under management? Yeah. They were $120 billion. Yeah. Yeah, they were one, just over 130 billion, um, and I think 600, 600,000 employees for Wisconsin Retirement System, combination of firefighters, police, teachers, different public sector employees, and um, yeah, they, they have a very, very healthy system, 100% funded. Uh, they're very responsible as far as balancing the contributions, the employee-employer contribution, 
Um, they make smart investment. But, you know, again, they also are a young fund. And I've been saying this. When you look at funds that are like the Ontario Teachers Pension, funds that are less than 70 years old, the time sometimes is the worst enemy. Um, but they're doing a good job keeping up with time. Uh, just within their system, the Milwaukee Pension Fund did not fare as well. They were one of the few municipal pension funds to not join the Wisconsin Retirement System. And after getting a massive bailout from the American Rescue Act in 2020 uh, or 21, uh, they still uh, were looking at insolvency. And so they had to abandon the system. They had to float a sales tax in Milwaukee just to keep the system able to pay out. And then they ditched the system and all new Milwaukee employees will be a part of the Wisconsin retirement system. And the big thing on that, the big learning lesson was when they came in to break the pension and go, all right, here's how much it's going to cost. The numbers they say they're funded are never the actual numbers when you hold them to the fire and go, okay, we have to actually liquidate stuff and pay people out. Then they go, oh, you thought you were 90% funded? Yeah, yeah, that's great formula you guys have in the back kitchen there where, you know, you, you, you move a couple things here and there. But here's the real number when we actually have to sell assets, and it's much less. And so they were really in a tough spot. And luckily, I don't think this is the best form of management. They passed a sales tax onto the taxpayers of Milwaukee, which sucks for them. Um, but it's going to help get them out of this failed system. Pensions are a really hard thing to manage because <laughs> you're like you're talking about time horizons that span multiple decades for over which time the future is completely invisible, unforeseeable, unforecastable. And it's one thing to forecast for a couple of years, but. 40 years ago, if you were to forecast that this is the world we'd live in with mobile phones and like a Star Trek, the science fiction wasn't even able to forecast the world that we were living in um, other than thematically. So it's they're really, really hard. <laughs> and, and so they're hard to make the investments for. And, and then they're hard to understand the, um, how to pay everybody out in the long term. Like I remember I was working, I've mentioned here before, I was working in a newspaper company, had a really good pension plan over there for both management and labor. Um, but it got it got so bad at, as the market kept shrinking and the efficiency kept changing that even though it was fully funded, like we just couldn't maintain the fully funded nature of it. You had you basically had four people on pension for every one person working and paying into the pension plan, as so the burden just became too high, and they ended up having a cutoff for anybody new coming into the defined benefit plan and moving to a defined contribution plan and that's not really that's not really great from anybody's perspective but it's but it's manageable because the risk gets borne by the pensioners yeah it is it is really tough which is why we gave them a lot of kudos for being in such a good spot you know a lot of people don't realize right now because it's not making news there are pensions weekly and monthly right now being bailed out by money that was approved in the American Rescue Act um, following COVID. It's happened. It's like, it won't make news, but there's one in upstate New York that I think is like a three, they're asking for $3 billion. You can find this. It's all online um, on the, uh, at the, um, uh, the, the, the pension bankruptcy, the guarantee corporation um, that they have that went bankrupt itself, but then they front loaded it with a bunch of money from American Rescue Act. But 
they're they're going under all the time. It doesn't make news anymore because they already allocated the money. Whereas if they were having to bail out these pensions with taxpayer dollars, you would hear a lot more in the news because, um, you know, news loves the controversy. But there's no controversy in like this pension is about to get bailed out for one point five billion. And it was already approved in the American Rescue Act when they printed trillions of dollars. And you just read it and you go, OK, cool. What's in the cartoon section? Yeah. Saving for the long term is really hard in a fiat world. You have to gamble because you don't know what share of the future you have. Just think about that in the, in the context of Bitcoin. Like you can't guarantee what the future economic output of the world will be by the time you're 60 if you're only 25. But if you're able to rely on Bitcoin and you manage to save up over the course of your life, 10 million Satoshis, just to pick a round number, that entitles you to 10 million, 2.1 quadrillionths of the money supply that's out there. It's, it's sensible, right? If you manage to save up $250,000 in your retirement fund, well, as we've recently learned, it only buys half as much as you thought it would in terms of gas, food, shelter, housing, or shelter, clothing. So it's like, darn it, the inflation came up either suddenly or gradually and completely distorted what I thought I'd saved for my retirement. Um, and I don't think that's, you know, the only time you see a long-term loss of purchasing power in a fixed supply commodity is if all the other commodities are being reduced in supply. No, there's less yeah, of we, to go around. We talk about this uh, in a football reference all the time. <clears throat> Be the one that moves the chains for your family. The chains is like the first down marker, right? Um, you can live or die by the Hail Mary. Those people end up in fourth down, uh, 30 yards out, punting. Um, but the teams that move the chains forward, you may not be able to get the, the Hail Mary in this lifetime, but you can definitely move the chains forward with Bitcoin and get your, your next generation in a, in a incredible spot uh, moving forward. Maybe maybe you will too, but but if you think of it like that, you're always going for that Hail Mary. You're trying to skip the, the work part of it. All right, something I'm curious about. Did you guys run through the numbers? Did Hoffa show them what their um, portfolio might look like with a 1%? 5%, 10% allocation to Bitcoin as of X number of years ago? Yes, and he's going to put those numbers up on the, the, um, the Nakamoto Portfolio website. He has those up for the Ontario teachers. The, the key metric that he showed, which I thought was great, and, and again, we're finding our groove in the show, and I think some of these metrics can be better highlighted. You know, Peter had some great insight on some things we can do better. And again, and anyone who listens to the show, we're, we're trying to make it better for more guests that come on in the future. But uh, uh, Hoffa showed the, the, the metric of the risk based on the percentage allocated and the, uh, and the expected behavior of Bitcoin. We didn't get too far into the weeds, but what he was able to show was, hey, that risk did not change much and was also 
insulated from the risk of their their the existing investments in their portfolio based on the surrounding conditions. And that was a really good metric for them to see like, oh, okay, so 1%, 2%, we maintain the risk. And that risk is pretty steady across the board, whereas other assets that you can see their risks are fluctuating up and down based on inflation, uh, interest rates, different outside external factors. And I think that one hit well for them because they were like, oh, in, that's that's interesting. And that's the power of Hoffa's uh, tool that he can plug those in and, and show them and speak the language of, you know, an investment board that looks at risk. So a couple of things real quick. One, I want everybody to, to, to hear what Dom said. He said that I had great insight. So that's number one. Um, and number two, um, you know, what was what was really great about what he's describing uh, currently is that when Hoffa looked at their portfolio, he specifically noted that um, that their that they had already insulated their um, uh, their portfolio against uh, uh, market uh, fluctuation and risk uh, very well. He, he, he actually noted that. And then when he put the Bitcoin number in um, and this is one of the things that I really liked about um, Dom and, and the three guests is that they're very um, uh, they're very realistic and they they're very honest about what they're doing. When he put the Bitcoin um, uh, component in, he did it understanding that Bitcoin had actually um, gone down during that period uh, that he was using. And so um, it was a very honest kind of, um, hey, you know, even though Bitcoin has gone down during this period, look and see what it's done to to your to your risk. And it was a it was a point one percent differential that it that it created, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah. The, the amazing thing about sorry, Dom, just the amazing thing about Bitcoin now for a pension plan that's making investments for people three decades from now is and especially if you're putting in a one or two percent allocation, right? It's like, well, if if a Bitcoin goes to zero, uh, you know, you've got 1%, 2% less funds to pay out from, you know, that you've got to compound back from something else. But if Bitcoin does achieve what many expect, hope, pray for, it's a total game changer, right? And, and, it, and it will allow all sorts of other unforeseen bad circumstances to happen in the world and shield you from them. So it is this asymmetric shield that if you don't need it, well, you know, that's fine. It was very cheap insurance. And I'm sure these are all things that our friend Greg Foss said. Uh, but just to, to appreciate something that grows a hundredfold, a thousandfold, starting at 1%, becomes a majority of a portfolio unless everything else does the same thing. I mean, for many early Bitcoiners, this is, they didn't go into, they didn't go all into Bitcoin. They, they got, they mined a block, you know, or they bought they bought a few hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin in the early days and didn't spend it. And then it became a giant chunk of their net worth. Yeah. And, and Mickey, I know Mickey's hands up. I just want to say one little thing and then I'm going to shut up uh, eternally. Um, you know, and it's outside of the system that burned all of them in, in, in 07, 08. Um, and that's the, that's the big, like, you know, we're not talking about this hypothetical pie in the sky. We're talking about, a legacy system that torched pensions across the country in 07 and 08. And so to have a, a, a 1% outside of that system, you know, 
once they realize, hopefully, that it's outside of that system of control and that they can't get torched in the same way and that it's not prone to manipulation when things go wrong. I mean, how do you not look at that as a pension fund after getting absolutely annihilated in 07, 08 and having to pick up the pieces for the next 20 years and then go, oh, yeah, wait, this thing's outside of the system. The trajectory is up. Um, it's getting stronger. And we're not going to look at it because why? Because the system that torched us says that it's, you know, a risky Fugazi asset. Like, wait, are we seriously is this are we listening to these people? So hopefully they're going to figure that out. That's taking the orange pill right there. What you just described, right? It's like, I know that I'm in the matrix, but it's comfortable. And there's somebody else to say, bail me out versus there's nobody who's going to bail you out in the long term. You will be likely one of the victims of the system. So you know, buy yourself the insurance policy that gets you out of, out of the system. That's a, and, and the bigger an institution you are, the longer you've been around, the more of a committee you have, the more risk averse you are, all that kind of stuff actually uh, rest, restrains you from making that choice, which should be obvious. But it's, it's hard to get everyone in a room to agree that, <laughs> to say it out loud. The system screwed us. The system is controlled by a handful of elite people. It screws people. The, you know, like you're you're talking about uh, government union employee uh, pensions. Most of the private sector unions are gone. Jobs offshored. Unions crushed. Their pen. No, no, there's there's not even jobs or salaries, let alone pensions uh, to get. So, it's it's important that people acknowledge the reality of what's happening to the middle class. Is it my turn? I think. Go for yeah. it. Dom. So when, when you guys are talking about risk, <clears throat> are they just, are they using risk as a proxy for volatility? Is that what they're talking about? Because I, so I've been looking, trying to find it, but there's, there's a chart essentially that shows like in the TradFi world, if you retire with like X proportion of stocks and X proportion of bonds, and it, and it essentially what it shows is that the more bonds you own, like, yeah, it's less volatile, but the higher your risk is of running out of fucking money in retirement. So I think, I think that's sort of something that is lost on a lot of people and all these like trad five managers are obsessed with risk adjusted returns, AKA returns divided by volatility. And they're not really focused on, like, are we actually going to have money in the future? Um, and there's, there's something that's sort of, they so they're scared of Bitcoin because volatility, and they see volatility as risk, completely ignoring the fact that their clients may very well run out of money in 15 to 20 years because you have them in a 60-40 bond portfolio that doesn't really do anything when adjusted for inflation. Yeah, that's a good point, Mick. And and I gotta I'll get with uh, Alpha Zeta on, you know, his model for calculating risk. My guess is, as you mentioned, it's on, you know, just the the equity performance risk side. But that's a very good metric of the risk of having to of running out of money, and then the risk of pension funds having to sell assets that they should be holding long term, um, which is the massive risk. And, and that's how they always get stuck in that pickle with the municipality saying, 
hey, city of so-and-so, you, owe, you, you thought you owed us $2 million this year? You owe us $4 million because to keep the fund paying out, we need more money or we have to sell uh, items at a loss, which is part of our strategy. So it would be a good metric, um, you know, varying degrees of risk for sure. It's a great point. Yeah, and then and then they sort of lose out. And so it sounds like what you said is what Milwaukee got bailed out earlier this year. So now, so now we're paying for essentially Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukee uh, was it pension payouts because they didn't manage their portfolio good, um, and now they're out of money. And so that's just I don't I don't know, man. It's just a whole fucking debacle. Really irks me. Yeah, it's it's. It's a it is a mosh pit at best. You know, I was reading. I know, I know, Mickey, you wrote some stuff. Here's something that the audience doesn't know. Mickey's super cool because he had written an article about CalPERS years back, but still helped me with my article. Um, and then I found it. I'm like, oh, dude, Mickey wrote about this like a couple years ago, but was super helpful. Um, and um, CalPERS got burned by Fink directly. In, in 2010 or 11, he, $500 million write-off on a New York apartment building. You can look this up. It's kind of like old news. But you got to imagine what the convo is at the racquetball club. You know, they're like, yeah, the the, the investment didn't work out. Like, uh, well, you know, CalPERS is going to eat a shit sandwich. That's all right. We'll get him on the next one. We'll get him a little something-something. Um, and if it goes wrong, then, you know, <clears throat> the taxpayers will pay for it. ha, ha, ha. Yeah, you know, again, this is speculative. And yet they still collect their fees. Yeah, this is why, hey, throw this up, and, and this is why I'm on a mission, not just for pension funds, but to get unions to learn about Bitcoin, because, you know, I believe there will come a time especially with with the external factors we're looking at challenges with ai technology moving forward where bitcoin is going to be a for sure life raft for unions that may look i always assume the pensions if the if the pensions collapse and are not bailed out we have a bigger issue if you read that calpers has gone under and it's not getting bailed out the domino effect of that you're we're now looking at like you know make, make sure you know your berries are producing in your backyard but, um, you know, I want unions to find Bitcoin because their pensions may not be there for their members in the way that they think that they will. And, and then again is another tier of self-sovereignty for an organization that is decentralized in its nature to kind of tap into this amazing network, which I believe serves unions without being adjusted and when i say serves unions i know a lot of people think the bigger unions nationwide but i'm talking also about smaller unions um and it serves them quite well so i want them to find bitcoin as well if the pensions can't figure it out in time i did some research recently um in the colorado public employees pension association or retirement association it's colorado p-e-r-a and they are 60 only 62 percent funded with 31 billion in unfunded liabilities and just this past year they lost around 175 million 
in the blowups of um, Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic Bank, and Signature Bank. And so Colorado Public Employees Retirement Association was exposed to the tune of, you know, 175 million to these bank blowups. Yeah, that's wild. And those numbers, those are tough numbers. I mean, 72% is scary enough. They, they say the, the, the metric, you know, anything under 80 is in distress. Um, as to what levels of distress is, is you know, largely uh, debatable based on, you know, the size of the fund. But 60, you said 62% or 64, that is fragile as hell. And it doesn't take much to tip that over. Um, some down years, some tough years, uh, retirees living longer than expected. And like you said, these things happen, you know, it's funny because I could walk into that pension fund right now and go, guys, I want to talk to you about Bitcoin. And they go, get the hell out of here. There's the door. You're funny. And you're like, well, how, how did First Republic work out? Well, like, I'm not asking you to put more than First Republic. What, did, what about just putting that amount? Um, uh, and again, we talked about it on our first show with Elliot. Um, it's just the system isn't built that way. They don't have divisions that understand Bitcoin. They're not equipped. And, and, and frankly, you also have an element of people managing not their, their own money. Um, and when those mistakes happen, there's a lot of systems in place to bail out or help that recover. There, we all know consequence, right, is, is, is key in performance. And, and if there's no consequence, um, you know, you're just like, all right, whatever. Uh, we'll get them next time. So I don't know if you touched on this or not, Dom, but this just reminded me that um, um, these the two individuals in the Wisconsin fund that you were talking to, they they have they have the ear of the individuals who are making the decisions um, for the for the fund. But one of the things that they talked about was that the 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 fund or the people who run the fund are starting to get letters from members. I forget what they call them, nutients or something like that. Anyways, um, they're starting to get letters from these people asking about whether or not the fund has uh, investments in Bitcoin. And as they revealed, um, they do have some, some peripheral, I think they have, they, they, I don't know if they have exposure to BlackRock, which has exposure to Bitcoin, Bitcoin through uh, proxies. Um, but they do have some exposure to, to proxy, uh, uh, Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, they did mention, yeah, that they have exposure through, um, potential exposure through ancillary companies. And we didn't, they didn't get into the specifics, whether it was mining. I, hey, a lot of pensions own micro strategy. CalPERS owns micro strategy. Um, and so they do have exposure very small in that sense. Um, but yeah, he mentioned getting those letters and, um, it sounded like the letters were more of, we are inquiring to make sure you don't have exposure to this. Um, I'm sure there's more to the story there. And, um, but that's kind of how, how he presented it, that there was letters coming in, um, you know, from, from, uh, uh, the retirees saying we better not have this super speculative crypto thing that people are like getting burned on. And again, that might just be one letter from someone um, is, is, you know, anyone can send a letter in. So I'm curious to learn more about 
the details on that. One thing that that I continually come back to when it comes to this topic of pension funds and just institutional investing in general is I don't I don't think people the typical person who doesn't deal in these markets has a very good handle on how much capital we're talking about. I mean, and the capital is just immense. And there was this article um, discussing a recent conversation that Lynn Alden was having. I think she was talking to Peter McCormick. And basically what she said was, what percentage of your net worth would you want in Bitcoin. She's like, I think a reasonable answer is a lot higher than the current number. The current number is a tiny fraction of 1%. So if you say, well, what if the answer is 5%? What if it's 10%? She goes, you get to comically large Bitcoin market capitalizations, even if Bitcoin just becomes this asset that people in general just want a couple percentage points of their net worth in. And it's a, it's continually mind-blowing to me. Yeah, Alex, we did the, I think we landed on a 2% for Wisconsin, and that was $2.6 billion. And that's a massive, massive buy order for Bitcoin if that were to occur. I mean, that's, and again, that's one pension in the field of thousands. Um, and so if that became a trend, and if something like a spot ETF tipped off that trend, you're talking about billions if not, you know, in the trillions of dollars. And now and now expand that to the world outside of just the U.S. Um, even if it was like 0.1% of the portfolio, you're still talking about a massive shift and Bitcoin as an asset class just leapfrogging to this status that is pretty, pretty intense. Good morning, Terrence Yang. Hey, how are you, Alex? Good, good to see you guys. Great job, uh, Dom. Um, so public pension assets as of March 2023 were about $5.32 trillion. So it's a lot. That's just and public pensions? Public pension there? assets, public. yes. So there's also all the private pensions. There's also the private. States. That's a good point. And then there's, like, there's other countries in the world besides the United States. I, I hear. That's true. But even if the whole universe was just public pension, <laughs> just to um, two percent of that is what uh, you said. Five, it's five trillion. Sorry, I've already lost track. Yeah, five trillion. So ten percent of five trillion is five hundred billion, and then fifty billion is one percent. So point one percent. Yeah, fifty billion is one percent. That's just a public U.S. public pension. Yeah. So even at like that's yeah, massive. Yeah, let's put that in context. Like Sailor and MicroStrategy has bought like what less than five billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. So you're talking ten x what Sailor did. Yeah, if you're if you're saying they wanted to hold one percent, five, which would be fifty billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, yeah. they'd have to own one tenth of you know Bitcoin at its current valuation, which which isn't going to be. Like people aren't going to just sell all the Bitcoin at the current at the current price that we've got long term holders. So it's it's a gradual 
injection of an amount of money that is going to be worth 50 billion. It's not to say they're going to buy 50 billion on the spot overnight, right? They'll probably start. Right. They'll start, you know, how do you buy 50 billion dollars worth of Bitcoin? $1 billion at a time, <laughs> or even $100 million at a time. So it's these, it's just coming in, and that initial $100 million you put in ends up quintupling, you know, quadrupling, whatever, as, as you're as you're buying in the same, you know, I think Michael Saylor started buying in just under $10,000 personally and MicroStrategy started buying in at around the $10,000, $11,000 range. But a big part of what their purchases ended up doing is causing the price uh, to get to where it is relative to that initial price. So I, I just think as you start to see institutions moving in, it, it it is to, to the point that I think Alex was saying that Lynn was making. It starts to dwarf what we're experiencing right now, both in terms of valuation and in terms of the quantity that's that's being held. It's like the unit, the unit price goes up because the market cap is going up because people are buying the unit to attain a market cap for the thing of it being worth a trillion, two trillion, four trillion dollars as the institutions start to move in and you gotta you gotta you gotta also anticipate globally the pension market i've seen numbers like i don't know 25 to 30 trillion but but much larger but of course if the u.s pensions are making it part of their portfolio you're going to have a huge amount of global um you know follow the leader um and those pension funds you might as well i i don't anticipate a situation where u.s pension funds across the board are all doing this and then the global pension funds are like nah we're out yeah and and more likely in my opinion is going to be they're not all going to come and come in at once right some of them will come in and they'll do a small allocation and then the performance will be will be the key indicator so it might even be one one epoch later right one one having later that the um the other pension funds that didn't come in in the first round so to speak will be looking at their compatriots and they'll be going holy crap they're outperforming us by this much we better I, I do think something alex, i think alex what, like the, the the scenario of all of them coming in big all at once it is a very remote outlier but I, I, I think that i think the scenario of many of them coming in with small nibbles relatively quickly you know because it's like oh you know we're putting in 0.1% and you know a, a bunch of them got the, like it's easier for many of them to make the same decision than it is for one of them to make the decision so like for many of them to say you know we put in 0.1% we want to watch it for a while and then you know we've gone up to 0.2% in part because of appreciation part because we wanted to buy a little bit more it starts to spread and so you get this cascading growth rather than this sudden growth and this cascading growth doesn't come from immediate conviction it comes from much more gradual conviction i i think part that's the way that the masses end up adopting things in in general right they're not all michael sailors they're like they go they go into a room they study this thing they come out they say that's it we're all in uh and and so i think this gradual adoption w widespread from an institutional perspective is a much more plausible situation and it's slower but and it's less risky and it requires less of these leap of faith scenarios hypotheses to take place and just like well, there's a new asset class and we're allocating something to it to learn about it to invest in it now we think it's worth more 
of an allocation than it was before. Some might think it's worth a little bit less, but it's just much more gradual. Um, and it doesn't have to be this suddenly you wake up one morning and there's a God candle. It's like, it's like everything else. It goes up and up. And some days there's bigger candles than others, but it gradually gets adopted as more and more people come to understand it and its value and its whole value proposition. Yeah. It's a very interesting phenomenon, that pure effect as, cause they talk to each other, right? Like they're going to be talking to each other and they're going to be asking questions of their peers. Like, why the hell are you doing this? Are you crazy? And they switch like, jobs. They switch yep. job. The few people I know who work for the Canadian pension plans, the public employee pension plans, teachers pension plan, they move from one place to another. They get fired from one place. They find a job in another. Um, and, and so their theories, whether their theories were good or bad, they propagate, I suppose. Yeah. All right. Let's switch topics. Uh, I want to welcome Panties for Bitcoin to the stage. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Who do we have on the panel today? Hi, how are you, Pablo here? Hi, everyone. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be invited here as usual. Excellent. Thanks for joining us, Pablo. We're going to go to you in just a moment. Before we do that, though, I would like to congratulate Terrence on his um, recent interview. Uh, I think it was on NASDAQ. I watched the video. It was very good. Terrence absolutely crushed it. Well done, sir. Do you want to give us a quick... Um, you know, two-minute kind of brain dump on what you guys talked about before we uh, go sure. to so public. If you wanted short, medium, and long-term price predictions, um, every time I've done these, whether it's NASDAQ, NASDAQ, Yahoo Finance, or Bloomberg, they want price predictions. So I've learned to capitulate to um, kind of get my digs in on Bitcoin and crypto, or sorry, digs on crypto, um, because I talked about how Bitcoin was not a security and implied that crypto... Are, uh, cryptos are altcoins and how there's much more wash trading in altcoins compared to Bitcoin. There's wash trading in both. And once they clean out the wash trading, uh, expect the Bitcoin, spot Bitcoin ETFs to be approved. BlackRock, Fidelity, Invesco launching spot Bitcoin ETFs should cause a rush of cash to go into Bitcoin and Bitcoin ETFs because their stamp of approval means a lot. And it means a lot more than gold ETFs when they launched because as Alex knows, uh, gold ETFs caused gold to go up in value, but gold was already universally accepted and widely kind of culturally adopted or as seen as valuable. So Bitcoin, where some people think are still scams if you talked enough normies including your wealthy uh normie friends um this is a big deal the, the black rocky tf is a big deal pension funds are not going to put money in it's, unless they have great leadership from people like don bay they're not going to put money into bitcoin until after like a black rock fidelity launches a bitcoin etf they might buy the etf they might go multi-sig right and um go with swan or, or whatever but it takes time and i think um the approvals will continue to be re or, sorry the etfs will continue to be delayed until next year so i think there's still some hopium the price could go down short term but medium long term super super bullish especially uh medium term long term i'm always super bullish for some of the reasons like you guys have talked about, Lynn, Lynn Alden has talked about, there's just too much money uh, 
uh, out there and not enough Bitcoin and Bitcoin's such a great asset. But medium term, I'm now much more bullish because I didn't expect BlackRock to, you know, apply for spot Bitcoin ETF as soon as they did. And it seems like things are moving much faster than we thought with the SEC losing against Grayscale and Ripple and so forth. But there, there is some short-term hopium that needs to be flushed out. But um, yeah, next year looks great. All right, one follow-up question before we go to Pablo. What do you think Terrence is going to be required to, as you say, clear out the wash trading that's going on on some of these exchanges? So they've already, like, Binance and all these um, entities have great lawyers, whether it's Binance, Tron, Hobie, or whatever, and they're already reducing the wash trading. That's why volumes are lower. So... I think it's just a matter of if they can reach a deal with the feds or, or Chinese authorities as applicable, or they, you know, so they can survive, but maybe in a kneecapped way, maybe they're much smaller, maybe they're half as big, 90% smaller, whatever. I'm not sure they go away, just too big and powerful and just kind of cynical. Plus governments make more money if these, money machines and they are money machines stick around and so you could just kind of tax and regulate it and you want do want the wash trading reduced so that you can kind of detect fraud much easier as joe Calisari and others have talked about so meaning like there i don't think too much more needs to happen it just isn't going to happen this year all right isn't it Thanks crazy can I make a short point, Alex, before? Of we course, go, please do. Yeah. It's a, it is amazing to me how we, um, how sometimes these things move in quantum leaps. They go like from zero to something that, and there is no gradual in between. Like one day El Salvador announces Bitcoin is legal tender. No one was expecting it. It came out of nowhere. It happened. And now we're all waiting for the next quantum leap on, on that dimension. So I, I think this is where, Making predictions on timelines is so hard and people get asked, well, will it be this year or next year? It's like something will be. And when it is, it'll have a significant impact because it'll a Bitcoin ETF means not just that people start buying Bitcoin in the ETF. As uh, Terrence implied, this is the thing that will give the green light for pensions to buy Bitcoin, whether through an ETF or not. Right? But the fact that an ETF exists means that it's a legitimate asset that pensions can invest. And so all of these things happen. And that won't happen overnight. There'll be hesitancy, delay. Will the Bitcoin ETF crash to zero? Like, until people get comfortable. And then someone takes the leap of faith and doesn't die. And everyone says, well, okay, there's something to do there. But take a look at El Salvador. They took the leap of faith. Nobody else has been ready to jump in in the same way quite yet. It's buying them time. It's probably good for El Salvador. Uh, but it is, people are seeing if they drown or not. And I don't know how long it takes before people, someone else says, you know what, that was a good thing. Maybe Argentina. That's already, uh, that's already happening though, isn't it? I mean, El Salvador's global bonds have returned over 70% this year. It, I mean, it these is are... a wake up call, right? So this is the way, so, uh, but I think the other people who are caught in that position are saying, okay, first of all, am I afraid that the that some three-letter NGO is going to have me killed if I try to do what Nayib Bukele did. Many of them are corrupt to begin with, 
right? And I think I think the magic of Nayib Bukele was he didn't seem to be corrupt in, in a world of you know countries that have already lost their currency. They lost it because of corruption. So it was it was this rare exception. And so, how many how many of these leaders of other nations that don't have their own currency are in fact a, alert enough and interested enough in helping turn their country around into something positive? There, like, there's a lot of different things that are that are still obstacles, but but it will happen, and and it'll happen out of the blue in a sense, right? Like, I, I'll, so many of these are like the Silicon Valley bank going out of business was out of the blue there weren't like columns saying watch out here comes silicon valley banking and so it's not just bitcoin it's like these events they happen suddenly so i was talking before about some certain things that happen gradually and don't have to happen suddenly and now i'm talking about things that happen suddenly and there's no gradual build-up to they just like these quantum leap events that happen that happen so the I guess I'm a, I'm a skeptic of the gradually then suddenly phenomenon. I think depending on how you look at a situation, many phenomenons are just gradually forever and other phenomenons are suddenly without the gradually and then maybe some are, some are gradually then suddenly. But let's turn our minds to panties because I'd certainly find that a more interesting topic than macroeconomics. <laughs> right on. Pablo, welcome again. Thanks, Thanks for joining Thank us. You. Thank All right. you. Pablo runs one of the most interesting companies in Bitcoin. These guys make um, undergarments for women. I don't know if that's the polite way to say it. Uh, my girl loves these things. I've heard from other gals who have tried them that they love them. Um, I know you guys are coming to Pacific Bitcoin again. Looking forward to seeing you guys there. For those people who don't know anything about what you guys do, tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing and why are you doing it. Sure, sure. Uh, well, again, thank you for having us today. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, of course, always uh, very intimidating for people like us to talk in Spanglish and uh, have a, in this space, I mean, with so many good and knowledgeable Bitcoiners, it's uh, a bit intimidating, but okay, we'll do our best. And uh, before going on with our uh, company story or a few words about it, I uh, just uh, wanted to mention that we are making a special uh, exclusive discount on our store using the code Bitcoin Cafe for a 21% discount until Sunday. And this is the only time and the place that we're going to announce this. Uh, it's not going to be posted or writing in any other uh, place. So... Uh, Thank you. Uh, That's very generous of you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, a little bit of a story. I mean, uh, today I'm the kind of person that uh, I became, I mean, the person that is thinking about Bitcoin 24-7. I mean, I wake up and leave and go to bed thinking and reading and listening about Bitcoin uh, all day long. Uh, I don't know if I'm already mentally sick or ill, I have no idea. But this is uh, who I am today. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I've been very sick like about five years ago. And uh, just to mention, I'm a Bitcoiner since 2017. And uh, I learned the hard way that there is not uh, one life, there is two lives. And the second one starts when you realize that you have only one. I passed that point. And on that point, 
uh, I made a decision for myself and my family that, you know, I'm 60 years old now. I have three boys uh, at university level right now. And I made a decision that uh, I don't know how many years I'm going to live. I mean, maybe 65, maybe 70, maybe 85, maybe 90. I don't know. Nobody knows. But I made a decision that I spend the rest of my life dedicated to Bitcoin, no matter what. I, I don't care if I met somebody from the future that is going to meet me now. I'm going to tell me, no, Pablo, this is going to zero. Forget about that. Uh, move to another business. Uh, I wouldn't care. I would I will continue doing this uh, no matter what. And I'm enjoying every second minute I'm spending on this and I'm, I have no regrets. Uh, we made we are so grateful for the many new opportunities and friends that we met. Uh, really, really uh, happy and grateful. So that's why I built up my company uh, that manufacture panties and underwear in Italy at the maximum possible quality because in our mind, uh, every Bitcoin related related uh, product has to be maximum quality i mean in 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 the day of tomorrow where bitcoin is going to be spread and more common use you you won't be able or you don't want to spend your bitcoin for a product that is not i mean in a low time preference it's going to last it's not going to be a disposable product that you wash it once and you threw through the garbage. I mean, it has to be something that uh, aligns with the Bitcoin philosophy. So we started this company uh, just by a chance. I mean, it's not, like I said, it's a family company. There is no a VC venture capital or marketing plan or nothing. It's just uh, I put together the idea because I was listening to Andreas Antonopoulos saying uh, the best way to get Bitcoins is to earn Bitcoins. I said, oh, phenomenal. I, I want to earn Bitcoins. Uh, I want that. And I was just reading also the, the pizzas for Bitcoin. I said, okay, we are panties for Bitcoin. And that's it. No marketing plan, no analysis, nothing. Just intuitive uh, uh, move. And uh, thank God And so far we are doing very well. And we've been very... Uh, supported and accepted for the Bitcoin community. And this is what we do. I'm an industrial engineer. This is what I did all my life, manufacture underwear for women. I mean, I'm not an educator. I'm not a coder. I'm not a content creator, not even a meme creator. I didn't have even a Twitter account before this. I mean, uh, we are not an exchange. We are not artists, YouTubers, TikTokers. We manufacture panties. And we encourage everybody to continue doing what they are doing their skills, up, I mean, continue doing their uh, actual uh, labor or whatever they do and apply or try to combine with Bitcoin in any way you can. Uh, and all, of course, we offer a 10% discount for everybody that pays with Bitcoin uh, because we want to earn Bitcoins. And I wouldn't say we offer discount for paying with Bitcoin. I would say if you pay with fiat, you're going to have to pay a surcharge. Uh, I think this is the way it's going to be in the future. I mean, uh, we know very well uh, what hard money is. I born in Argentina. I lived 
from all different phases that Argentina passed by dictatorships, missing people, a war with England, hyperinflation, everything, everything. Uh, so I've seen it. And I don't think we are in a hyperinflation right now in North America, not at all. We Yes, we do have inflation, bigger than what they say, but not hyperinflation. Doesn't matter, but Bitcoin for us is the future with or without inflation, because it's convenient, because all the attributes we all know here, Bitcoin has. So uh, that's a bit of uh, history on our company and why we believe in Bitcoin. I, I would say we are believers in Bitcoin more than any other thing. And uh, so again, we've made so many friends all over the world and uh, seeing our product with people that takes picture like last week in, in Africa, in Tanzania and Kenya. I mean, it's phenomenal. So it's and now what is going to happen with Bitcoin from from now on? I don't think anybody knows. I don't think anybody can say it if it's uh, what's going to happen. It's going to go up and down or it's going to be spread or not. I, of course, we believe it's going to happen. But the reality is nobody knows. I mean, I, I always take the example of the the post, the the the, the post office. I mean, when I was a kid, the post office was everything. And then came the fax machine and people were saying the post is going to disappear because people is not going to send any more letters by mail because the fax, you send it by fax immediately. Well, guess what? The post continued working. And then came the email and people said, oh, now even the email by computer, the post is going to disappear. Well, and then the email came with attachments that you can send pictures and all that. But... You know what? At that time, nobody imagined that it's going to be internet sales that is going to be shipped by post. So the post is still reinventing themselves and continue working. And now in Canada, you can even buy Bitcoin at the post. You can go to the post, deposit your money, and you can buy Bitcoins at the post office. So to predict the future, it's very tough. It's very difficult, and I wouldn't get into that field even. I mean, but Bitcoin... Today, it's already, it's not the future, it's today. I mean, it's happening. It's not tomorrow, it's it's happening today. Every company that gets into Bitcoin, they are not going back. Once you start using Bitcoin and accept it, accepting Bitcoin as a payment uh, processing or payment system, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I mean, uh, and even... A year ago or two years ago, when we still didn't have Lightning Network as useful and practical as we have today. So the amount of tools that you have uh, today to run your business on Bitcoin, uh, it's amazing. Uh, so I strongly suggest to everybody that it's running a company or a business to get into Bitcoin uh, before it's going to be too late. I mean, you have to start building up now for the future. And at the minimum, at the minimum, Bitcoin is going to coexist with the fiat system. If not, it's going to take it down. I mean, minimum is going to coexist. So you you can't be wrong going into, into a 
Bitcoin uh, business. Uh, that's my two cents. Uh, and with uh, my excuse to all the knowledgeable people on the panel that knows much better than us and uh, can speak a lot about inflation or mining as we were listening before. Uh, so that's my two cents on, uh, on Bitcoin. And uh, we're going to continue adding, uh, adding uh, products to our assortment uh, slowly because it's a big investment we manufacture it's not a drop shipping we have the inventory we ship we take care of every shipment we do uh, i mean we are customer center we, we mainly knows everyone that we ship we we exchange dm uh, with that people we we take care a lot about uh, our customers and uh, we're going to be adding some men's underwear soon. Probably we're going to present it at Pacific Bitcoin. We've been attending as many conferences as we could during this year. We're in Miami, Calgary, Toronto, Boston, every meetup in Montreal, supporting and helping. And uh, I mean, we are really enjoying this ride like kids. I mean, I, I can't remember a time in my life that I was so excited and and motivated like this time with bitcoin that's me too <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I i think most of us I, mm. I i don't know if we are all crazy or not i it really doesn't matter it really doesn't matter because we are enjoying the ride and i, I guess the same thing is for everybody here i mean to talk and speak and meet bitcoiners is it's what we enjoy the most i mean uh what else we need? I mean, maybe we are all wrong. Maybe, maybe. I don't care. I'm not going to yeah. change my, my path. I'm going to continue doing this. Like I said, even if somebody from the future shows up now, um, it's going to tell me, look, this is going to go to zero. It's guaranteed. I don't care. I wouldn't change it, it, nothing. It, nothing. Two things. First of all, Pablo, yeah. you're... You know, you say you're not a developer, this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, you know what? I appreciate your experience and your wisdom. And you're like, you're, you're a salt of the earth human being. You're out there building a business and you're helping the Bitcoin ecosystem develop. And for that, I applaud you. Um, the other thing, you know, the thing you said, like, maybe we're crazy. There are people who say things like, well, you know, Bitcoin's a cult. You guys are all in a cult. And like, the way I look at that is, is like, look, if there is a cult, full of really smart, really positive, passionate people who are super interested in helping change the world for the better, then hell yeah, sign me up in that belt. I'm all about it. All right. Yeah, thank you, Alex. And uh, I agree. I mean, uh, I really don't even spend or waste my time uh, trying to understand if we are a cult or not. I don't care. I really, it doesn't matter. It, it really doesn't matter. It, it, it's pointless. I mean, we continue doing what we are doing. We are building up. We are not uh, destroying anything. We are building. We are building companies. We are building a system. We are building a monetary um, system that is going to be much better and efficient than the, the one that we have today. And uh, without exaggeration, I mean, we are not uh, presuming anything. We are just working. Uh, and working and trying to develop everyone from his own corner or knowledge. And that's what we are doing. I mean, uh, the rest is uh, noise. That's it. 
For sure. Are you okay if we do some questions? We've got Peter, Tomer, and Paul up here. I think I'll want to ask you something. You okay with that? Sure. All right. Go ahead, Peter. Um, well, first of all, I was wondering how Alex worked, uh, uh, you know, female underwear into the conversation so that he could understand why these ladies like it so much. But now that you're putting out some male um, uh, Bitcoin underwear, it's going to be easy. I wear my Bitcoin close. How about you? Um, but what I was actually wanted to ask you a question about was I'm assuming that you're from Latin America um, or South America or both. And I was wondering, you know, what kind of differences you see um, in the Bitcoin community and how it's used down there versus um, how it's used uh, in the United States. Good question. Yes, I'm from Argentina. I born in Argentina. I lived uh, there until I was uh, 45 and I graduated in Argentina at the uh, University of Buenos Aires as an engineer. So, uh, yes, it's a very good question. Uh, I was discussing this with many other uh, Bitcoiners and previous conferences about inflation and hyperinflation. Uh, first of all, we are not in a hyperinflation here. We're far away from that. I mean, people that are saying we are getting into hyperinflation, they have no idea what they are talking about. I mean, hyperinflation, just to give you an idea in Argentina, is when you go to the supermarket, there is no price. There is no price. On the, on the shelves, there is no price because they can't be replacing the price as fast as the price is moving. You call a supplier in the morning and you buy, you need to buy some supplies. And if you know them and they trust you, they're going to ship it to you without the price, without an invoice, because they don't know the price. So, and in some cases, you can, you're going to see a sign on the supermarket saying the price, if they didn't change the price on the shelf, by the time that you go to the cashier, the price may change. That's hyperinflation. That's hyperinflation, not what we are seeing here today, that in worst case scenario, I mean, let's say the government says it's six, three, I mean, seven, whatever they say, let's assume it's double, triple, quadruple, even if it's 40% annual inflation, it's not hyperinflation. In a hyperinflation, you have that by month. You have a 50% by month. You can see the prices change 20, 30% overnight, overnight in the gas, in the oil, in everything. So that's one point. Uh, so that's when a, a small percentage of inflation here in North America is much more harmful than big percentage in South America. Also, people in North America, Canada, US, I'm talking about, they are in debt. They don't own the house. They have to pay mortgage. They don't own the car. They have to pay the credit card. There's a lot of debt. In Argentina, if you don't have money, you don't buy a house. There is no such a thing of mortgage. Uh, doesn't exist. If you don't have the money, you don't buy. So there's not uh, as much debt as in North America. That's one related. So bringing back to Bitcoin, uh, in Argentina, before Bitcoin exists, the people had always and still have the US dollar as a reserve of a store of value. And uh, when you have a salary and, uh, and you get paid, you immediately, and I guess the same thing is in Venezuela and many other countries like us, because we are not Lebanon, Turkey, Greece. I mean, you immediately 
try to buy US dollars because it's it's a store of value. You know that tomorrow it's going to be more. Let's say two months ago, the US dollar in Argentina was 300 pesos. Today is 700 pesos. So you immediately exchange for US dollars as, as, and you don't put it on the bank. That's another thing that we learn along the way. You don't trust the bank. You don't leave your US dollar deposit in the bank. You, you store it at home. Now, the Bitcoin, there's a big community, Bitcoin community in Argentina and in South America, of course, because it's a natural understanding. Unfortunately, the structure of the uh, education is not as spread yet for the common people to save and exchange for Bitcoin their income and after that use it as Bitcoin. Uh, so I guess the US dollar is still king in those places to save. Maybe the first uh, phase would be, I don't know, some stable coin uh, that is going to attach or peg the value to the US dollar. We'll see how that's going to evolve. And one interesting thing now in Argentina, there is an election very soon. And there is a candidate that I'm sure most of you knows, uh, Milei, Javier Milei from uh, a party yeah. called La Libertad. That guy, yeah. that guy is a savage. Yeah, yeah. La Libertad Avanza is the name of the party. But we'll see how it's going to evolve. I mean, uh, we'll see. It's one step at a time. But there is a big community in Argentina, Bitcoin community. I know them. I've been, if any of you travel to Argentina, they're going to, gladly receive you and I mean they're gonna show you uh, the central bank in Argentina all the the faces of the peso developments and evolution and how the people survive and how the people uh, learn and adjust to the inflation uh, so but Argentina was in inflation the last 50 years I mean this is not new for us but it's still unfortunately every new round of hyperinflation puts another million people on the street. I mean, uh, yeah, and, and people that only is going to happen so many times before people start waking up and saying, Hey, this has got to change. Okay. Listen, Pablo. Yes. We're, we are at the end of the show. I want to give you a minute to make some closing comments before we wrap up. Is there anything you want to say or plug or website you want people to hit? Sorry. I could say it again. We are at the end of the show, so I wanted to yeah. give you a moment to make some comments. Do you want to give a website or anything else you want to close with? Sure. I uh, just wanted to thank you, you especially for inviting us to the spaces. Thank you, everybody that is supporting us from day one that they are uh, buying from us. It's going to be a pleasure to anybody to meet. Uh, please pass by at our uh, table at the Pacific Bitcoin. It's always... Uh, or pleasure to say hi and talk with everybody from all over the world and uh, just uh, words of thanks and grateful for all the support and very happy to to be here and uh, be part of this uh, new revolution fantastic thanks for being here pablo we appreciate you. you guys very much paul el sultan thanks for coming up we ran out of time we will get you the next time around. That's it. That's the show. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Some things that are coming up. Bitcoin Veterans, the next episode is being recorded live tonight. 
Um, it's going to be a live show as well as a recording, 7 p.m. Eastern. Check out Bitcoin Veterans Handle, which is here on the stage. Follow that if you are a veteran or if you're just interested in the perspective of a handful of guys who've seen a couple things and just have some thoughts, you know, on the world and Bitcoin and why Bitcoin is uh, one of the most important things, the next mission, basically, uh, that gives hope for the human race. We're going to have Andrew Howard on the show tonight. He's got a thread that's currently absolutely blowing up. So uh, we're going to hear his story. Really looking forward to that. I'm going to be first in line at uh, PB to get the uh, male uh, Bitcoin underwear because I definitely want to be able to uh, walk up to women and say, I wear my Bitcoin clothes. How about you? <laughs> All right. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. This is also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. If you can't catch the live show on Twitter spaces, thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of the show, my crew. Aunt Peter, Sats for Life, Wicked Don Bay, and Producer Jacob. I appreciate you guys very much. I'm your host, Alex Danzik. Work with Swan. Shoot me a damn if you want to know more. Thanks again to the speakers, Pablo, everyone who comes on here every single day teaching people about this bright orange feature. This is what we call getting on the mission. Love all you guys. Everybody go out there. Have a great day today and crush it. <laughs>